Somebody's going to go bridge here. It's better time. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Gombridge Podcast, episode 132. My name is Andrew Gardner, joined alongside by Alex Clausen and Steve Brady. Boys, how are we doing today? As Andrew just said, first minute is the most important. It draws the people in. Uh, I tried to go a Bill Riley. We'll do it live, but it uh, wasn't good enough. So you guys are getting another, uh, I get, we'll call it Take not two. a cold open. It's kind of a lukewarm open at this point. But, uh, you know, doing good. Sox playing well. Trade deadline. Guardy's got a lot to go over. So uh, we'll, we'll get right into it. All right. Take two. And I got to say that the big boy job is finally paying off because last week I was gifted from uh, one of the higher up some Red Sox tickets for Wednesday's game against the best team in baseball with the best pitcher in baseball on the mound and Brian Bayo. His start got pushed from Tuesday to Wednesday. (laughs) I thought you're I thought you're going right to Spencer Strider. (laughs) Nope, Brian Bayo. And they're pretty, pretty good seats. Me and my dad are going to go. So I'm pretty excited about that. And I'm um, also excited to get into the episode. You know, oh, yeah. Steve, Congrats. You, you, maybe we're jumping the gun here, but uh, Brian Bayo on the paternity list. Oh, you know what? They, first that's game. why they pushed they pushed his start back. But you know what they say about Major League Baseball players right after they have kids? They're... It's actually, I think we dove into these stats at one point. Pitchers historically performed, I think, worse and the hitters have historically performed a lot better. I think it's the dad strength. I think, I think it is the, the dad, dad strength. strength. You got you got no reason to throw a good off-speed pitch anymore because you're just 10, you're just a lot stronger. Just how yeah. it works. We'll see if Bayo uh, keeps that that good change-up. Who was it? Up. <laughs> <laughs> who was it who came back uh, from the paternity list last year? Was it Kike or Rob Refsnyder? And they were just like steaming hot. Uh, I think it was Kike. Yu Chang. Yu Chang. No, that was earlier. Was earlier this year, Yu Chang. Uh, Christian Vasquez, I think, had one of those in the past two years. Might have been twenty twenty one. Yeah, a lot of kids. Brock Holt had. He came off the list. Yeah, I think he's got two. He's got two. You know kids. what that means? Uh, yeah, yeah. Nice. Anyways, you know, there's there's been some studies done about performance increase after certain activities. Anyways. Boston Red Sox coming on in. We're 100 games through the 2023 season. Sox sit at 54 and 46, riding an off day today on Monday the 24th. Two games set uh, against the Braves Tuesday, Wednesday. Another off day on Thursday. Since we last recorded, uh, Sox, I'm trying to do some quick math here. They went four and three. They beat the Cubs. Lost two out of three to Oakland and then took two out of three from the Mets. But we got a lot of stuff to like dive into. I feel like last episode, especially, or we were, we were bouncing around everywhere. Today, we actually got a lot to talk about. Trade deadlines coming up. We had some historical performances uh, from uh, players this past week. Players who are hot, players who are cold. Whole lot to talk about. Clausen? I got nothing, man. You got nothing? I thought you had the hand up. No hand up. Uh, First things first. The Sox finished off the series in Chicago. I think that they won that game 11 to 5, but I want to bounce. Massa had a a grand slam in that one. I want to quickly bounce to the next game against the Oakland A's because these past couple weeks, the Red Sox have essentially been rolling with a a three-man rotation of Cutter Crawford, Brian Bayo, 
And then the um, last guy. James Paxton. James Paxton. Exactly. An impressive three-man rotation, I'd say. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And then they're rolling with two bullpen guys. They've been Bernardino has been uh, one of the the openers. He pitched last night against the Mets, and then he opened this game against uh, against Oakland. And then you have Nick Pavetta, Chris Murphy, who's been coming out uh, kind of as the second guy out of the pen, too. So it's been interesting how that has been working. But Nick Pavetta last week comes out of the bullpen and throws a Red Sox record 13 strikeouts uh, as a reliever over six innings of work. And I know in the past we've talked about him. You know, he, he started in 2020, 2021, most of 2022. We talked about him. He, he's got that that aura, that vibe, kind of like a closer. Like, he kind of reminds you a little bit of Papelbon, where he can turn. Hold on. That's, that's ridiculous. No, that's ridiculous. it's not. That's ridiculous. No, it's no. not. Hold on. No. Hold on. No. Hold on. Hold on. I'm not saying they're equally the same player. Said like Papelbon. I said his aura and his vibe. Uh, not even close. Okay. Well, Nick Pavetta can turn it up coming out of the bullpen. He, he, he's got a little bit of crazy in him. He absolutely does. His not fastball Papelbon crazy. Papelbon was on a whole nother level. I said like, like. I don't even think he's. I don't like. even think he's touching Joe Kelly. Joe Kelly's a much better comparison, though. I okay. Maybe it's Joe. Ke- maybe Joe Kelly. All right. Maybe Joe Kelly. Well, Papelbon was a starter first too, but Pavetta has just seemed to figure it out of the bullpen. I mean, he didn't. He didn't pitch last night against the Mets. I think or. You know, we'll probably see him one of these games against the Braves, but he is a guy who, you know, w- was really struggling out of the the rotation and has just found his footing coming out of the bullpen. He looks like a whole different pitcher. I think it just really goes to show you, and there's uh, parallels to be drawn between other players on the roster where starting a game as a pitcher and coming out of the bullpen as a pitcher are two vastly different things. That's why you see people not do both it, and Pavetta coming out of the bullpen going six innings with 13 strikeouts is a performance we never saw probably strikeout wise more so than anything else when he started he obviously carried a lot of no hitters pretty deep and by a lot I mean like probably three to five Guardy made sure those didn't uh, come to fruition <laughs> But he does have that uh, intensity. You can tell that he wants it. And you can tell even when he got put into the bullpen that he wanted to start. And you're right. He's one of those personalities that the Red Sox kind of have been lacking. And now that he has a platform where he can be good and also share that intensity on the field where it doesn't seem like he's just being uh, a crybaby when his start gets blown up, something that has benefited the team, I think pretty Pretty invaluably so far. I don't know if you remember, but I think it was around Memorial Day. Uh, I can't remember what start it was after, but he had just had another blow up start. It was about a week or so before James Paxton was coming back. And in the post game, Chris Cotillo of the Mexican Times asked him what his kind of thoughts would be about getting moved back to the bullpen. And he was really kind of snippy with him he was like I, I don't know what you're talking about like i'm here to start games that's my job and i started ever i've started my entire red sox career yep. i'm gonna continue to start that's yeah you're right that's my job blah blah that's blah exactly that's exactly what he said and 
I, I, I just find it interesting kind of, you know, it's been, you know, less than two months now since that, since that, uh, that interview question. And he, you know, he's not a, a guy that, you know, I feel like we haven't gotten a lot of quotes from him about kind of his move to the bullpen, but it seems like, you know, obviously on the field, he's thriving, but it, it looks to see, you know, like he's, you know, enjoying himself uh, kind of out of that role too. Well, it was a sink or swim situation for him. And his only choice was to do to. I think that him pitching well out of the bullpen kind of cemented his spot in the bullpen in a weird way, because I think if he was shitty at the bullpen too, we were, we're had we don't have a ton of options in terms of guys that we could we can start. And I guess Cora just saw how good he was out of the bullpen, and he was like, "We'll take our chances with other guys opening games, starting games for us." And then we have that uh, Nick Pavetta. And he did this in the uh, in the postseason in 21, did he not? Am I am I wrong? He had a he had a really mm-hmm. uh, Nathan Navaldi esque game uh, three of the ALDS. Statistically, a better uh, bullpen performance than Nate Navaldi in the 2018 World Series. Uh, different moment for sure, but statistically, it was better. And he kind of cemented himself as as this long relief guy. I got a stat for you. Give it to me. Nick Pavetta splits. Starter versus a reliever. As a starter this year, forty innings pitch and a six thirty. Can I ERA. guess his uh his bullpen ERA? Yeah, you want to guess it? Yeah. Go ahead. I'm gonna go uh two seventeen. Very, very close. Very, very close. Clausen, you got a guess? Gonna price his right of eighteen. <laughs> yeah, that was a good guess because uh his no ERA is two two twenty five. Very close. But one of the other stats um, that stands out to me when you look at his splits, like, I mean, across the board, it's it's a four-inning difference, pretty negligible when, you know, you're you're talking about, you know, that that number of innings. But he's given up, you know, six less home runs in that period. But again, the stat that really stands out to me here is opponent's batting average. In those 36 innings, opponents are hitting 121 off of him out of the bullpen. And they were hitting 270 off of him as a starter uh opponent's ops as a as a reliever is under 450 as a starter it was close to 900 night and day difference really good versus really bad what's k per nine you got that up k per nine out of the pen uh i do not have that right here but i can calculate it in my head uh as a starter, 42 strikeouts in 40 innings. So that's a, a tick over 90. Uh, as a reliever, 53 strikeouts, so 11 more in four less innings. Might have something to do with, you know, I, you can speculate all you want on how this a thing like this works, but it's baseball and it kind of just, things just work out. Maybe it's because the batters are seeing somebody else before him and then mm-hmm. Pavetta comes in with different stuff and that obviously can benefit a guy or even uh, in the reverse where he's starting uh, players will see him once through and then they can come back up, have a higher chance of coming back up because he's obviously pitching less innings. Uh, a Tanner Houck situation where second time through the order, third time through the order, he's worse. Well, well, here's actually funny you say that. Here's the stats on that. So his first time first through third time through the order as a starter 736 ERA 606 ERA and then a 5 ERA so weirdly he gets he gets better as a reliever though 
First time through the order, a 1.71 ERA. Second time through, he's only pitched eight innings, 4.32. And then in a one and a third innings, third time through, his ERA is at zero. So his stats uh, as a reliever, again, like super, super dominant in, in short like stretches. And, you know, not even, you know, just that. He threw six no-hit innings uh, and the seven-nothing win against the A's, 13 strikeouts again. So, again, a three-man rotation right now. We knew that pitching depth coming into the season was going to be a big question mark. And it hasn't exactly held up, but Pavetta has stepped up. Bernardino has looked really, really good out of the bullpen. Like he has by far been the, the team's best lefty. And so just that kind of combination, like it's a funny combination, but it's working. And so that, you know, you got to ride the hot hand. Yeah, no matter what happens with the starting rotation, I think Pavetta is obviously staying in the in the bullpen for the rest of the season. And you got to wait on guys like Whitlock and Hauk. Uh, to come back potentially if we're looking good towards uh, September-ish. Chris Sale maybe even will pop his head back into the MLB for a start or two before he falls off his bicycle. (laughs) We'll see who we uh, pick up on the deadline. It's going to be really interesting with the way the Red Sox are playing right now, which way they kind of lean towards in terms of buy or sell and how much they do of either. I know sounds like they're going to be more buyers than sellers but I wouldn't be surprised if they still shipped off some guys like Paxton. I don't, I'm, I'm still, it, 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 it's hard. Cause you don't I, have I, yeah. pitching to replace right. him with. And unless you get someone back, you're not going to get someone of equal value. That's useless. I don't well, know. That's the double-edged sword. Yeah. It's Paxton is your main position of need in a starting pitcher. And he's also your, far and away most valuable trade asset. I hope people, I, I, I kind of want them to keep him at this point. I mean, I, I you know, one, one thing that, you know, I, I like getting prospects and they got some good prospects in the, the trade deadline, uh, you know, last year, like Emmanuel Valdez, when he was up earlier this year, he looked, you know, pretty good, serviceable, but you don't always know what these prospects are going to turn into. And James Paxton, uh, his, his last two starts have been, okay like he was pitching a lot better before those two but he is still a a guy with with you know tons of major league experience and as Clawson mentioned you got such a short rotation right now I I don't know we'll see where we go we've got just about a week to the deadline and at this point does a prospect you're gonna have a log jam of of players anyway right in the next few years is a prospect really that valuable unless they're a pitcher it it would have to be a high pitching prospect because You've got you've got no room on the infield. I mean, and especially not in the outfield. Well, I mean that too. I mean, I was listening to um, oh, uh, Castiglione and Will Fleming on the radio the other night for a little bit, and it was the pregame show. And Will Fleming was just talking about again the offense. You know, top to bottom is is one of the deeper lineups in baseball. With especially with how Duran and Costas have been playing, uh, you, you know, it's a pretty solid lineup. It's not packed with with superstars like the the 2018 team, but it's pretty solid uh, with with how it's it's built right now. And then obviously you talk about you know three of your your top prospects and York Meyer, Blaze Jordan, Sedan Rafaela can also play shortstop a little bit. And then you've got you know you've got Devers, you've got Story, you've got Casas, and kind of the missing pieces is, is second base. So yeah, I mean trading for for a, 
another infield prospect. It's like you know you don't need one. You really don't. If, any, if anything, you should be. At some point, you're gonna have to get rid of one. Uh, yeah, yeah. I could. I, I honestly, I think either. Um, I think Myers untouchable, and then also I didn't even you know mention Rome, uh, Roman Anthony. Th- these last couple weeks has shot up the prospect rankings and is like a top ten prospect in all of baseball right now. He's still only down in uh, in Greenville, but yeah, I could I could definitely see like Nick York. That that would be my pick for for who's going to be like the odd on man out. I would, I would love to see. Sorry, Clausen. Go ahead. Um, I was going to say odd man out to me seems uh, Blaze Jordan. He's kind of a, uh, he's kind of a he's a great yeah. athlete. He's a great hitter. I think he would be a perfect DH in the major leagues and for the Sox. But if he doesn't have, he kind of I guess he to me stands out in the role that Justin Turner does, where Justin Turner is a corner infielder and majority plays DH. But Turner doesn't really have a, a space in this lineup. You have Rafi for the next eleven years. And then you would hope they lock Casas up for the next long term. So York, at least I can I can say they have a weakness at second base, and they can highlight him as the 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 second baseman of the future. You got Meyer though. To me, like Blaze Jordan, as great as he is, and I think as great as he would be at Fenway, I just think he seems the uh, the odd guy out just based on his position. Yeah, I mean, a couple things there. I agree with both of you in a few different things. First of all, I think Blaze Jordan, uh, the best way to put it is in terms of our prospects right now, he could be a solid major league uh, hitter in terms of, you know, the five tools that they measure prospects out of. He probably is the least amount of highly graded tools out of uh, those guys that we've talked about, Nick York included. And then you look at uh, James Paxton. I think I agree with you, Gardy, where we're probably not going to trade him we shouldn't trade him if we actually want to make a legit uh push into the into the post season uh and the only way and this is far fetched the only way i could really see them moving a guy like paxton is if you were gearing up to trade some of your uh pre-existing prospects so you kind of reload your farm system uh with prospects you get from james paxton and then use some of your pre-existing prospects to get a bigger fish uh at the trade deadline in in terms of a starting pitcher i i don't hate that idea i don't hate that idea at all i mean it'd definitely be interesting if they kind of made two two separate trades like that i'm i'm curious to see which way they're like they're gonna go i think they're gonna try to trade for uh a, a decent sized like name starting pitcher. Um, my last thing on on the Paxton situation is, you know, say the Red Sox this week go. I mean, I guess they're only playing five games this week. Say they go, you know, three and two, four and one, and and you deal James Paxton at at the end of the week. What are what are the kind of the optics of that situation, like from from a, a fan's perspective? If you're not following this team, you know, super closely, like if you know of James Paxton. And do you know that the Red Sox are, are short on starting pitchers right now? What what does that kind of say about like the organizational office, you know, the front offices just trust in the roster right now? I know you want to get pieces back, but at some point you just got to be like, we want to win. And James Paxton is a is a winner and he's our second best, you know, starter on the roster right now. So I think that that's something that I, you know, I know you're always trying to, to get better, but. I think you kind of have to take into consideration some of the optics here where you're like, if we really want to, you know, show that we're winning and we're not going to go out and make any other big splashy 
um, or big, big splash, flashy moves. The look of trading James Paxton, if the Red Sox are still very much in the mix, doesn't doesn't really uh, make me, you know, too happy. Boston. I think it just to me it just pushes along the narrative that Sox fans think that Heim isn't really in this until he gets his guys up from the minors. Mm-hmm. And I don't yeah. think that that's outrageous. I to me they just haven't been very transparent. If they came out last offseason or this offseason and was like, "All right, yeah, we want to still put out a good product, but we're not going to sink our all of our money and all of our most valuable assets into a championship team until we have Meyer and York and, you know, all of our best prospects up, then I would at least respect that they come out and say that. But I think that if they just Well, they did they did come trade, out and say that by starting Corey Kluber on opening day. Indirectly. Exactly. Exactly. Um but I think if they just blindly trade James Paxton and end up kind of having this in between buy and sell, then it just kind of continues to push this like it's it's you're just kind of straddling. You're just Exactly. Like you're just kind of hanging on. Like yeah. you're you're a solid team but not good enough to make the playoffs, but you're also not bad enough to where you're getting a high draft pick. You kind of end up in purgatory. So I, I would hope that they at least come out and are transparent about if they're in purgatory, they're going to come and say it, which you really can't in Boston. No. But they have yeah. to say something about what direction they're in. I mean, looking at the standings right now, and I, I misspoke earlier. I meant to say the Red Sox are 53 and 47, not uh, 54 and 46. Um, they're, they're only two games out of, of the third wildcard spot. I mean, they're, they're behind Toronto, Houston, and, and, and uh, Tampa Bay, who has you know struggled mightily of late. So this is going to be a very exciting two months. And uh, one second, Steve. Um, just in terms of like when I when I think about like times, you know, since I've I've been a Red Sox fan since, you know, 2008, 2009, when I really started closely following this team is right after they won the World Series. Yeah. Huge time bandwagon. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Six year old me was like, I'm not settling for anything else. No. Uh, I, (laughs) I, I the only year I can really think that, you know, you know, 2011, obviously that was just the absolute worst that that wild card collapse. But, you know, every other year that they've made the playoffs, it's been a pretty comfortable margin that they get in by besides 2021. So in terms of excitement, I know the team on the field is not, you know, exactly the most exciting to most people. I'm having a good time watching them, but this is going to be a fun run for the next two months to see if the Red Sox can uh, can get into the playoffs. And I, I think it's going to be more fun than 2021 where the Red Sox limped into the playoffs and, you know, we're, we're hanging on by a thread and, and August was pretty damn dreadful. And if they want to get in, it's going to be fun. If not, turn the page to next year. I'll, I'll wrap it up and say I hope they buy because it's not like that they have uh, cloudier days ahead. You have to figure that story comes back sometime in the next 10 a days. Huge boost. Sale, you would hope, comes back by the end. Whitlock, Hauk, mm-hmm. come back. Like Those are big pieces that you're missing, and you're still playing good baseball. So in theory, they come back right as August comes around. You give them a few weeks to get hot, and then you kind of ride a high right through the end of September. And then you're right; you would you would hope that you're good enough to make a wild card and can kind of get hot as you turn the calendar to October. So I vote by. 
I'm team by 100%. Yeah, I mean, going touching on this conversation briefly, a surface at surface level, and as Gardy said, somebody doesn't follow the Red Sox uh, super closely how they would view James Paxton getting shifted. It's clearly that uh, they're not super invested into this team. I think no matter what which way you slice it, from the beginning of this off season this past year to where we are right now, this has always been a bridge year. And Gardy's right, gone bridge, gone bridge year, gone bridge year. And Gardy's right. Uh, when we did make the playoffs of the past over the past seven. Uh, or so years, uh, maybe even longer than that, we made deep runs because those were all surrounded by uh, one, if not two or more uh, bridge teams, bridge years that were setting us up to be ready for 2018, uh, for 2013. I mean, and at a deeper trading James Baxton, if you are super, if you are following closely, you'd have to assume at the very least, that Heim is confident in the reinforcements that you guys just mentioned that are still on the active roster or still on the uh, the roster, not the active roster, because a lot of them are on the IL, obviously. So that's kind of the way I view it. I think that they should keep Paxton, and I think that they should probably uh, go for another three or four uh, in the starting rotation and then maybe fill in some gaps uh, in other places as need be. Um, my last point. If you want to attract a free agent in this upcoming winter, namely someone like Shohei, Ot- if you want to have a, a they're not any prayer <laughs> of signing Otani, and you go to him and say, "All right, we're going to be good in three years, but we missed the playoffs, just like the Angels." Why would he even listen? You know what I, I mean? I don't even think this is a realistic thing to talk about. I think you can. But I'm just, can, I'm just saying, I, like I, yeah, free agents I, in general. If you can say, all right, we were a wild card team and we're not far from contending, and we were, st- we didn't even put our best foot forward, we mm-hmm. still made the wild card. Yeah, and I think I think that makes the Red Sox more of a free agent destination than if they miss the wild card. I think where the Red Sox are at right now is the most optimistic I've felt about the team and the organization in general since the tre- the signing of Trevor Story. Going to this free agent market, the way that you want these players, these potential free agent signings to view themselves and to view the Red Sox is that they are the missing piece that is going to push them over mm-hmm. the hump, not the prospects that are in the pipeline. My my last thing, really, really quick uh, about about this uh, this little segment here. Klaus, you would, I actually, I forget which, I know, Steve, you mentioned the, the bridge years leading up. I mean, you think about 2013, 2011, they had the collapse. 2012, they were awful. You rebound in 13, you win the you win the World Series. 14 and 15, both, again, pretty bad years. And then you go on a run and win three straight division, uh, division titles. And 2018, you win the World Series. 1920, again, down years. 2021, you're able to get into the playoffs. And these, these last four years have kind of been a little bit rocky, not the most kind of set in stone, uh, you know, teams. But then, you know, last year and, and this year, you, you build up the farm system. So looking ahead, even if the Red Sox don't get it in the playoffs this year, as we, we made an episode two and a half years ago, 2024 is our year. I, I really think that next year is going to be like the, all right, let's, you know, raise hell. Like this is going to be a, a damn good Boston Red Sox team. I, I didn't even know that you're that close. Like it, I, for me, 
I don't think the Red Sox are true, true contenders for the next Stop. two, three years. Stop. I don't Stop. think you're, Stop. I think Stop. you're looking at 2025 between 25 and 30. I think that's their window. I think next. Yeah. I don't, I, you I can be a great, you can be a good base. You can be a good Red Sox baseball team until 2025. But then in 2025, you have Meyer who is theoretically would be up and would have adjusted to the major league game enough to be a great player. Our boy CT is shutting it down. He's back from injury. And, and he's, I'm excited. He's, I'm excited he for is him. Shoving. Chris Troy. Dog. Dog. <laughs> Hunter Dobbins, dog. dog. Nathan Hickey, dog. dog. <laughs> um, I digress. That guy shoves though. Um, but you know what I mean. Like you, you're banking on this group of prospects to come up and deliver a championship. So I think if you start supplying more pieces in the next few years, and then you build off of what you have right now, and then you kind of just use those guys to put you over the very top. I think it's a gradual growth as opposed to the Sox go out and drop a hundred million dollars on an off season. On I think, players. I think kind of, kind of switching gears a little bit here. This is a good segue into the, the next thing I want to talk about. And then we can, we can run down the games real quick uh, of the last week. One of the reasons I'm feeling more confident right now is because of the development of, of three, you know, big guys this year, Bayo, Casas and Duran and, those guys are are now pieces that I look at as the future of this Boston Red Sox team. Foundational. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Tristan Casas, did he get off to a slow start at the beginning of this year? One hundred percent. So many people were writing writing him off. Uh, I feel like we we haven't talked a ton about Casas this year. I mean, you know, we, we've just kind of let him like run his course. I, none of us were really very critical of him. In fact, I've been you know, saying since, you know, beginning to mid-May, like he's he's slowly improving. His uh, numbers now, and he, he had that game, uh, the Saturday night game against the Mets where he hit two home runs. And, you know, he, he's he's a beast at the plate and is, is really developing into his element. I want to quickly read right now a list of players who Tristan Casas has a higher OPS than. Marcus Simeon, Wander Franco, Manny Machado, Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonso, JT Realmuto, Dansby Swanson, Alex Bregman, Kyle Schwarber, Brian Reynolds, and Xander Bogarts. Tristan Casas is the real deal. You damn I think right it's safe is. to say that Casas is our best, maybe outside of Justin Turner and Masataka Yoshida, our best pure hitter. His plate discipline's insane. You'd say he, over Devers? Pure hitting plate wise, discipline. His approach, oh, plate, plate discipline, yeah. Pure hitter, his approach, his plate discipline, everything about the way he approaches each at bat. He has had far more great at bats than Rafael Devers has had this year. I mean, he is uh, in terms of MLB first baseman. He's he's third in the majors uh, out of first baseman with a fourteen percent walk rate, which places him MLB wise in the ninety fourth percentile. 91st percent in barrel rate, 86% average exit velo, 81% uh, hard hit rate, and 80% chase rate. I mean, again, these these numbers were now more than halfway through the season. Like, this is a good sample size. 
and he he just looks so much more confident at the plate. He's swinging at a lot more pitches. I think that was part of the problem in the beginning of the year was his mentality. Obviously, I'm I'm not him. I can't you know fully say, but watching him, it seemed like he was trying to to walk a lot, and he's still walking a lot. But it seemed like he was he was too selective with pitches. Now when he gets a pitch, you know, earlier in the count, he's driving, and we saw that with uh, with the home runs. Uh, you know, on Saturday and he, he just, you know, kids, what, 23, 24, like he just looks like a very complete player already defensively, a little bit of work, but with the bat, he looks very, very good. I think a solid is, approach uh... that Costas could take is something that when Alex Cora came in here and started talking to, to Mookie Betts is that he wanted, he told Betts to swing at the first pitch a lot more often. And I think that Costas, because of how good he is at the plate in terms of his plate discipline and his eye uh, more times, uh, or more times than not, you're the best pitch you're going to see in an at bat is going to be the first pitch. Might be a get me over fastball, just trying to get ahead. If you're the pitcher, if Casas just starts, uh, really focusing on and making an effort to swing at the first pitch more, he'll probably get a lot of hits off of that. And then even if he doesn't, he has the ability to work himself back into account. His uh, he's on base percentages more than 15 points higher than Devers right now. He he gets on base. I mean, you want to talk he, about Moneyball? Money Moneyball. He gets on base. You want to talk about the month of gets July on base. for Tristan Casas, both Tristan Casas and Jaron Duran, just the month of July. Tristan Casas, 348 batting average, 444 on base percentage. His OPS is 1227. Five home runs, six. he's uh, 16 for 46. He's got three doubles and a triple and eight walks to go uh, to go alongside that. He's been scorching hot for the month, month of July. And then quickly looking at Duran, too, in 17 games uh, this month, he's hitting 423, 464 on-base percentage, and an OPS of 1234, point, or seven points higher than Tristan Casas. He's got eight doubles, 22 hits, four steals, 15 runs. I mean... These two guys, we're talking about young guys not only being good and you know making an impact. These are are studs, and I think I said this last week. I, I can't remember if I did, but I'm going to say it again because Jaron Duran deserves to have me say this again. I actually I, I'm 95% sure I did say this. I again have just not seen a turnaround from any player I can think of do s- such an abrupt and impressive 180 that Jaron Duran did from, from last season. I mean, people were calling, uh, you know, for his job, this was a make it or break it year. And he has crushed it with flying colors. He, he, you know, he needs to be in the lineup every day. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. He, he's your starting center fielder. A hundred percent. I mean, we went from having Adam Duvall at the beginning of the season who, you know, I, I think he won AL player of the week, the first week of the year, he hit four home runs and, you know, he goes out and breaks his wrist in Detroit and people are like, oh, my gosh, well, what are the Red Sox going to do in the outfield? And by the time he comes back and you and you give him a week or two and he's starting to struggle, the the story with Duvall is now like, how quickly can we get this guy out of town and trade him for some for some pieces? So Duran, there's no logjam. I mean, Duvall has, you know, just about completely faded out of the out of the picture right now. I know uh, Verdugo is is in a little bit of a cold spell himself, but. You know, Jaron Duran is just much watch, much must watch baseball every single night. I mean, every time a ball is in the gap, he he's you know hustling. I I just 
I cannot remember a guy with, with this much speed, honestly, since Jacoby Ellsbury. He, he's faster than Mookie Betts. Yeah, Mookie I'm looking at it. had plus speed, but he was never one of the fastest players in the league. I mean, I just remember this. The, the first night in Oakland, he leads off the game with a little bloop over the second baseman's head, and he's just, you know, hightailing it out of the box. And, and, and they, you know, flip the, the, the camera and the right fielder's picking up the ball. And Duran's already halfway between first and second, like, you know, catching the, the right fielder off guard, gets to second, ends up scoring in that, that inning off a, a sack fly that, you know, might have not happened if he doesn't get to second base. So, you know, the Red Sox, in my opinion, have found their leadoff hitter really, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, for the first time since Mookie Betts. I mean, Duran is just an awesome, he, he's really fun to watch too. I'm I'm excited to see how his numbers come out for the rest of the season, and then you can start looking at at Ellsbury because Ellsbury just has such a larger sample size than Duran. Um, if you're looking at Ellsbury's, you know, third season compared to Duran's, I mean, Duran, it, it, it's pretty similar, man. I mean, in 2011, Jacoby Ellsbury should more, have won the AL MVP. Should have. Who won it that year? 20, yeah, 2011, Jacoby Ellsbury was ridiculous, uh, but. 2009 Ellsbury. Oh, was, that, was that the year Verlander won MVP? I think so. I know that Ellsbury had like what? Like a 30-40 or 30-50 or something like that? I think it was 30-50. He had 32 homers, 39 stolen bases, 321 average. I mean, Ver, yeah, Verlander... Uh, Verlander won MVP that year. He was the first pitcher to win oh, wait, the award. Uh, yeah, you're right. since uh, Eckersley in '92. But Ellsbury, Ellsbury got four out of thirty first place votes. Verlander got thirteen. Ellsbury wasn't that far off from winning, to be completely honest. Yeah, like voting wise, he should have. He should have won. Anywho. Two young studs. Top of the lineup is is fun to watch. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, brighter days ahead. The last guy I want to quickly, uh, you know, quickly touch on here is uh, is Chris Murphy, who had just an, another great game out of the bullpen yesterday. And, we're you know, finally, I feel like some of these these arms were, were pulling up from Worcester, starting to, to pan out a little bit. He's pitched 25 innings this year. He's got a 1.80 ERA. And... You know, between him and Bernardino, you know, nobody knew who uh, Bernardino was coming into the season because he was out in Seattle. Uh, Chris Murphy, I think he was around 20 or 30 uh, in the prospect rankings. But for those two guys to be the lockdown lefties out of the pen, it's been a surprise. It's been a great, you know, nice surprise. They've both been great. And Murphy can go long, long innings, too. Yeah, we're starting to pull relievers out of our ass like the Rays did when they had time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean Murphy's only pitched uh in, in eight games, but uh you know he's he's thrown at least two innings in all eight of his appearances. Last night against the Mets, he goes three and two thirds, gives up only three hits, one run, three strikeouts. I mean, we talked, you know, many episodes ago against his ML about his MLB debut against Cleveland, uh, where he, he struck out five no runs over three and a third innings, and same thing. In that three nothing loss last Tuesday in Oakland, he was the the second guy to come in out of the pen, and he goes four and two thirds, two hits, 
uh, nowhere in runs. So this is another guy you talk about kind of with the three-man rotation right now, Bernardino, Pavetta, Murphy. You know, you know, Brandon Walter had started a game in there too, I think. Uh, those three guys, a very, very odd mix of, of pitchers. But it's working, and the Red Sox are winning games, which uh, is all you, all you want. I'll tell you what, there are some games they win that remind me of how you would win a postseason baseball game in 2023. Yep. You run, I mean, you run a bullpen game, your starter goes few, then you bring in a, a long reliever for a few, then you turn it over to your shutdown guys, and Kenley shuts the door, and the offense does the does the work. I I think they've they've set themselves up to compete in a postseason style baseball game. Hundred percent, hundred percent. You guys got anything else on this stuff before uh, we quickly run through uh, these last last six games? Send Dave Bush to the moon. Let's run it. There you go. All that right. Dude, again, first game in Oakland. Dude stinks. <laughs> we'll go through Is- the Oakland. He's, he's I, back. Claus, you got anything else? I know you you were ripping him last week. Dave Bush, I think I sent you guys his, his career pitching stats, <laughs> and they're like pretty similar to the the Red Sox pitching, like total. Uh, everyone like, he's coached. Uh, yeah, like well, everyone he's coached. Like if you look at the overall ERAs for the team and compare him back to Dave Bush, like I don't think he's capable of putting out uh, rotation – and a bullpen that pitched better than him. My, the guy just simply doesn't know enough about baseball. Well, Clawson, do you want to share what you sent to Steve and I yesterday? What about I some guy who's no longer on the Red Sox? Did I text it to you guys? Or Yeah, his numbers. He's on the Dodgers. Ryan oh, Brazier. yeah, Brazier? Yeah. Let me pull these up. Whole... Whole new guy. Small did I text side. it to you guys? I think you did. He, he, I got he, it. I got it. You got it. Oh, yeah, I got it. Ah. Do you have it, or do you want me to say it? Don't give him credit, Steve. Ryan no. Brazier in twelve yeah, appearances with up. the Los Angeles um, Dodgers is a one point three. Ryan Brazier has a one point three. <laughs> no, no, you got it. You got it. You got it. You got it, Clausen. No, Steve hasn't said it yet. Go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. My internet, my internet's kicking. It's a little laggy. It's kind of like it's kind of like Ryan Brazier when he was on the Red Sox. What's his ERA? One. Yep. Point three eight. You can do it. Damn, it's pretty good. Yep. Pretty good. It's pretty good. It must be must be the West Coast out there. I don't. I don't know. West uh, Coast, best coast. Maybe it's just a <laughs> comp competent pitching coach did you guys guess that's what it is did you guys see what i put on our instagram story last night where mookie Betts and brock holt were on uh on i don't know whose podcast it was everybody has a podcast nowadays things Um, i don't want to talk about that okay we won't talk about it then but no the thing i wanted to bring up though is that i i found it funny that mookie was like he was basically saying that he he didn't feel ready to play in la when he got traded there he's like i thought that was interesting Anyways, Sox won that first game seven nothing. We talked about Nick Pavetta doing that 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 history in this game. A uh, whole bunch of knocks up and down the lineup. Only starter not to have a base hit was you. Pulsey MVP Chang 
Uh, seven nothing win. Nothing. Uh, nothing else too crazy uh, about this one. And I feel like after this game, you're 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 feeling pretty good about your chances to at least win the series against Oakland. And this was definitely disappointing. But I to to lose these last two games. But I can't say you didn't see it coming. Or the Red Sox, you know, they were hot and they you know take two out of three from the Cubs. And yet you have history in the first game with Nick Pavetta. And all this stuff, and then you go out and and lay an egg two games uh, in a row against the A's. That's just kind of how the season's been going. Not as kind of uh, up and down as it was even a month ago, but you would you you'll want to win that series against one of the worst teams of all time. Brian Bale had a rough start. We know now that he was expecting child, um, so perhaps that had something to do with it. That that's got to be nerve wracking, no? As a he's like our age. Tell you what, <laughs> that's crazy. I'd Could be you imagine being a dad right now? Nah, dude. I can't and I won't. Don't want to expend my brain's energy on that bad vibe. Not with a. Never mind. Carry on. Yeah. Rough start from Bayo. They just destroyed him. They hit like four home runs in the first like three innings. Yep. Whatever it was. He did not look sharp. He was placing balls middle-middle, whereas usually he does not, obviously. It's not to pass it to success, but, you know, the kid's going to have a bad start every once in a while. You can't really harp on it too much. Never going to win that game, but the offense is bad and Bayo's bad. Even against the Oakland Athletics, they're still technically a major league team. I mean, the offense wasn't terrible in that game. They still scored five runs, but, you know, the Red Sox, uh, Justin Home or Justin I guess we could call him Justin Homer. He's been hitting a lot of a lot of bombs, you know, recently. But, you know, they go up 2 nothing, and then, yeah, Bale gives up uh, two two-run shots in the first two innings. And then it just kind of felt like the Red Sox were playing comeback that whole whole game, which they were. Um, and, yeah, Steve is, as you mentioned, not not Bale's best start. Four innings, six earned runs. His ERA is still at, uh, at just a 3.6. But uh, yeah, and then game two, that was a boring one, three nothing lost. That that just had the making of a game. You never felt like the Red Sox were, you know, it was only three to nothing, and you're playing the Oakland Athletics. But that was, you know, moving to the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning. At least for me, watching that game, I was like, they're just not not going to do it. They're just not going to. And they didn't. They only had five hits. Yeah. that they kind of gave up winnable games but uh like you said Gardy, you can't stay hot forever so you can't joe jacques with the start you have up three earned over one and a third um blyer richard well jolie rodriguez i think he had he had come back before this game um he he's he's looking better than he did and then blyer was back uh in this game but Gonna have some comp- competition for the lefties uh, in the bullpen coming down the stretch here, and we'll see if they uh, they add some more help uh, in that uh, positional category coming out of the trade deadline. So anyway, you lose two out of three to the Oakland Athletics, and then you're coming home Friday night against the New York Mets, and this is a game again. You jump out to a three nothing lead, and um. What was I going to say? The Red Sox go down four to three, and then the game gets suspended. And none of us were at the game. 
that day. But my goodness, some of the videos coming out of Fenway, it was it was raining pretty damn hard. Yeah, it was raining hard. Uh, at the end of the day, we were playing one of the best pitchers in the league uh, yeah. at this point in Kodai Senga. And uh, Masataka Yoshida said that he thought that he was the best uh, pitcher in Japan uh, when he was around, where they were both around in, uh, in Japan. And he kind of has been showing that this year. The guy only pitches once a week, which is interesting just because, you know, MLB is different and you got to protect uh, your guy's arm, especially when you're paying him that much. Uh, his, gosh, his start got cut short and we kind of got to him a little bit there too. So just an interesting game, weird game that we had to make up, you know, that's kind of a, a crapshoot at a certain point with uh, games like that. Who's going to win? Yeah, the the game gets made up on uh, Saturday uh, afternoon at 2 o'clock. Gets, you know, underway at, at, I just said what time it got underway. But, yeah, the Red Sox just couldn't uh, ever really get back in this one. Um, Cutter Crawford, again, not his best performance either, but he's been pitching pretty well overall. And I, I think that, after losing this game, you, you've lost three in a row and you've got two more against the Mets who are, are another team who are really hungry for uh, wins right now. Winning Saturday night and last night were, you know, obviously huge. Like that's not that's not a crazy take, but the just kind of the way the Red Sox bounced back where, you know, you we've kind of seen once they lose two or three in a row, it's almost like they, they can't get out of their own way. And. You know, the Mets are struggling this year, but they've still got a talented roster in my eyes. And to win these next two games, huge bounce back, huge bounce back. Very, uh, a very good sign in my eyes. Resiliency. A hundred percent. We haven't seen a lot of that this year from the Red Sox. I think, I think that it sets them apart when you put them and the Mets kind of in similar. Did you turn your mic off? Me? Yeah. Steve, is it so? Yeah, your mic sounds bad now. There you go. We back? Oh, you're so We're back. back. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so much better. Um, no, I think it sets the, the, the Red Sox apart from teams that are uh, on the verge of buying and selling at the, the deadline. And you put them over the hump into a... a maybe middle-of-the-road team, I think it puts them above that. If you can beat those other middle-of-the-road teams that are talented, then I think you just kind of rise up a little bit more. So I think it goes to show that the Red Sox are just playing good baseball right now. Game two against the Mets, an 8-6 to six win. And this was another one where uh, the Red Sox, they, they technically came back in this one. Uh, I, I want to talk about Jorge Alfaro <laughs> behind, the, behind the dish. Uh, this was a guy who I was excited when they, they had re-signed him because uh, Caleb Hamilton was not cutting it behind the plate as the backup. And Alfaro has at least got some decent MLB experience with the played for the, the Padres and the Phillies and a little bit for the Rockies earlier this year. He defensively is one of the worst, and I'm not even saying this just as a catcher, one of the worst defenders I have ever seen in my entire life. And there was that play there. Uh, what inning was that? There? In the, uh, the fourth inning. He rifles that ball all the way to the warning track. And again, awful at blocking. I, I saw some of his stat cast numbers from last year defensively. I mean, just awful. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm counting down the days till Reese uh, McStroke McGuire is back. 
Yeah, I can't wait to see that smooth stroke in the lefty batted box. Oh, yeah. Spanky Reese. I miss... (laughs) I I miss Reese. (laughs) (laughs) I I never thought I was going to say that. In fact... Just about a year ago today, I was irate that the Red Sox had traded for this guy. I can't believe I'm saying that. I, I want him back on the team. I'm not saying he's that good. It's just like he's it not that bad. Sox has not even been bad. I know it hasn't. I want Reese back. Sometimes you don't know what you got until it's gone. That is that is a great quote, Steve. What do you think he's doing with all this time off? He's going blind. That's what he's doing. <laughs> Why is he, staring, is, he sta- is he staring at the sun too much? Is that why? I need to keep talking about this. <laughs> I mean, it, the, the, every time is he's he brought it? up, every time he's brought up, one of us simply just can't not make a joke about it. <laughs> low hanging fruit. <laughs> the fruits on the wasn't ground. The, <laughs> wasn't the only thing that was low hanging. Anyways, um, yeah, I want I want Reese McGuire back or Hale Farrell. <laughs> Just uh, he's just terrible. He's just terrible, and he doesn't hit either. Fall from grace from spring training. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, I thought this man was gonna be the next. Uh, I don't even know. I he I thought he was gonna be good. He he hasn't been. But the Red Sox end up winning this game, uh, eight to six. This is the the Tristan Casas game. The Red Sox were just homering all over the place in this one. Jaron Duran led off the bottom of the first with a home run. Yu Chang. He smoked the ball in the fifth inning, too, uh, for a solo shot. And then Turner homered uh, in the third inning as well, or seventh inning as well, for some more insurance. Justin Turner, haven't mentioned him much today, 16 home runs this year. He's having a very, very sneaky, quiet, good season in the middle of the Red Sox order. If you watch the game, there's nothing quiet about it. Justin Turner gets a hit every single game. He's really solid. And as I mentioned earlier, he's probably he's probably our best our best peer hitter. On he's the been team. doing everything. Big clubhouse guy. Anytime the young guys talk about a clubhouse guy, it's always Justin Turner. He's second on the team in home runs. He's got an eight thirty five OPS. He's hitting two eighty six on the year. Twenty three doubles. And yeah, again, I mean, I I I he's a he's a guy. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here, but. I'd love to see them uh, bring him back for next year. Yeah, I agree. No reason not to. It. Yeah, no reason not to. Uh, anyway, again, uh, this this game, the Red Sox win uh, eight to six. It was almost, almost blown at the end by Justin Garza, who was promptly sent back down to Worcester after this one. Kenley had to come back in uh, for the one out save. Gets his twenty first of the year, but you know Paxton looked you know pretty solid in this one. And uh, and yeah, just a, a good bounce back win, and then you step up into the rubber match on Sunday night baseball against the Mets. Um, against the Mets, and a six to one win is what you pull out. I mean, in terms of of pure contact and the Red Sox just putting bat to the ball, this was one of the more impressive performances that I'd seen on, in a while, especially early in this game. They had ten hits through the first. I don't want to say two and a third or two and two thirds innings against uh. Yeah, two and a third innings against Carlos Carrasco. Yeah, not a ton to dissect here. Just get hit, win game. Hell of an analysis, Steve. Yep. Hell of an analysis. But again, this is the uh, duo of Bernardino and Murphy. They combined for five innings, just giving up one run. And then 
uh, out of the pen, Winkowski, Jakes, Martin, and Brandon Walter. Uh, is he? Where is he from? Is he from like British Columbia? France? It's gotta he's, be. he's from Shrewsbury, New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> the French of the West. The France of the West. <laughs> That's that's common, yeah. That's what people. You know, um, Shrewsbury, New Jersey, has an exact replica of the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> scale, scale model. It's a very popular tourist attraction. If you're coming over here to the the states, common misconception: Shrewsbury, New Jersey, gifted the Statue of Liberty to New York. <laughs> they, were, they they knew Joe Jacques was going to be the next big thing, so they just they just handed it over. Yep. This guy was a 33rd round pick in 2018. I was to show all the young kids <laughs> in the draft from last week. Segway. It's not where you get drafted. It's what you do with the opportunity. Problem is that there's only 20 rounds now. Well, either way, it doesn't matter where Work you get your drafted. ass off. Uh, yeah, we, we were talking about this before the episode started. Uh, failed to mention it um, real quick. Yeah, that's that's the end of the Mets series. Red Sox win. Uh, a lot of good, a lot of good things there. Devers said a freak. Oh, actually, hold on. Before we we talk about the tra- the draft, I want to just this is the last thing on on the series. Devers hits a freaking moon ball to right field. <laughs> I was so pissed. I was so mad. You're pissed. I you had a home run closet. Couch. I was like, there ain't no way. You're pissed. There ain't- I mean, what? No, I'm kidding. You want to explain why you're mad? I mean, I'm I'm sitting on my couch. I'm enjoying Sunday night baseball. Um, you hear the it's like a it's like an atomic bomb off the off the bat. They the, crank the up the mics. The Oppenheimer. A, yeah, I know. It's like a anytime there's a bunt, it's like a it's a, an explosion. Um, <laughs> yeah, they they I don't but, know. Uh, what yeah, they no, do Rafi. The mics on Sunday Night Baseball, I, like, those are turned I, up to hundred. I love it. I love it. It's just so obviously. Uh, it's some guy just sits at a soundboard. He's like, he's got his finger on the button. He's just waiting for con. And he just has to hit the button. He's got to hit the button right when he sees barrel to ball contact. No matter what, he's got to hit the button. Um, but anyway, Rafi connects with one uh, high deep drive to right field. Uh, clears yeah, the bullpen in like first run. row. It was, it was definitely a home run. Certainly. And I see a familiar pale. Uh, looking man standing in the outfield just so so happens to be exactly where the ball was hit. Uh, you know, no free ads, old Navy, black T-shirt, generic Major League Baseball hat, uh, highlighter, pale skin. And I'm like, I know who that is because he starts parading around the front row. And no, no, nobody who catches a baseball under the age of, 11 years old catches a home run and parades around except for Zach Hample. It's unbelievable. So I, I'm like, I, you know what? I'm like, you know what? Maybe it wasn't Zach Hample. Maybe it was just another overly excited man child in the outfield who brought a glove to the game. And then uh, they show the replay and there he was. At this point, Zach Hample, you Zach just Hample got caught another one. You just almost got to give credit where credit's due. It's so annoyingly impressive. Like, did you see the scrum for that baseball? 
I mean, this, the guy is it like went right into his glove. I got to think the guy's what, like five nine, five ten, like tops. Like he does not look like a very tall guy. He's not a big he, dude. No, I know, but he's always coming down with these balls. I mean, unbelievable. I mean, when he caught a rod's three thousand hit. I mean, some of it, it's just luck. He's partly just the luckiest guy of all time. It's no, nah, he he does the math. He. He analyzes do, the player. You can do he, the math all you want, but if Raphael Devers hits the ball two degrees further to the right, you're not going to be near it. I mean, he is like it, it, it's it's impressive. It's annoyingly impressive. That's that's all he, I got on it. He throws like UFC double champ elbows, yeah. though. He's that's getting paid. Boardman yeah. gets paid. I don't want to give this guy anymore. Yeah. Any more free airtime? It's just last thing disappointing because the percentage of balls hit the right field in Fenway Park that are catchable by the fans is so low, and that schmuck, that jabroni, comes down with it. It's just disappointing. Lawson, I will say one more thing about Rafi. Him being He's mic'd good. up last night was hilarious. Oh, so funny. And Espanol. He uh he confirmed that he likes him like him chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, catch, when that when that ball got popped a fly up. Fly ball. Yeah. <laughs> I got it. I got it. Ay 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 ay. It was it was awesome. Yeah. Or when they were asking on the ground. When they were asking him, uh, Eduardo Perez was like Rafi when they, you know, the Red Sox bring the contract offer to the table, three hundred million dollars. What is your uh, what is your reaction? He was like. Oh my goodness! Like <laughs> they were like, yeah, you know, it, it was just I thought it was funny. He's like he's a quality individual. He likes chocolate and vanilla ice cream. Finally confirmed. He that. definitely, I he must get asked that so often. He probably has a different flavor. Probably. How many people do you know that like their favorite flavor is chocolate and vanilla? I mean, like, twist twist is solid. I, I mean, I don't know. chocolate and vanilla combined it might be my favorite. I don't know. I feel like he just gets asked that so much. It's probably just easy for him to be like chocolate vanilla. Yeah. Shut up, man. <laughs> Has anyone actually ever seen him eat ice cream? No. It, it, I think it all just started from section 10. Watch Real G's move in silence. What? Real G's move in silence. Like lasagna. Yeah. Uh, the the. I almost just said the Boston Braves. The Atlanta Braves have expressed interest in Adam Duvall. Take him. Have him. Again, wait, take him back. Take him back. Take him back. Uh, anyways, oh, yeah, the, the draft. The Red Sox have signed most of their guys. Kyle Teal, first-round pick out of Virginia. Dog. And we got Nazan Zanatello. The Dog. Who's their second round pick out of high school? Forget where. Uh, whole bunch of uh, very interesting draft prospects uh, coming out of this year's uh, selection, and hopefully we're gonna have a few of them on the uh, on the show at some point. That's I will all. say, actually, going back to the Adam Duvall thing, hopefully yep. when the Braves are in town this week, they just take them with them. Yeah, that'd be pretty like sweet. A, uh, like a Christian Vasquez. Yeah, they like they leave, trade him right before the game, and leave God, somebody grabs his shit and moves over. Yeah. That was sad, but yeah. Yeah, it sucked. Alex Corey, Impact Player of the Week. Who do we got? I'm going to go with Tristan Casas. 
because he's a, a moose, not just a dog. He's a moose. He's a moose. The big boy doing big boy things, hitting big boy bombs. So I'm going to give him a point eight eight. That's a big boy number. <laughs> I'm going to go with the other obvious pick. I'm going with Jaron Duran. Oh, he's been all over the place. It's fun to watch. I'm going to give Jaron a, a point seven three. That seems like a fast number. Give me fast. J- uh, not James Paxton. Nick Pavetta. Mm. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> point <laughs> seven nine. Okay. It's good stuff. That's pretty point seven three does seem like a fast number. Doesn't it seem like a fast I number? I can put that on like the side of a race car. Seventy three. Jaron Duran. It doesn't seem fast on the back of a of a uniform, but on a race car, it seems fast. Yeah. Uh, it seems so fast. What number was Lightning McQueen? Like ninety nine. Ninety nine. Yeah. Aaron Judge. Alex Verdugo. Yeah, true. Sixteen, right? Nope. 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 <laughs> tr- tr- nope. Try again. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> try again. Try again. Couldn't hear you. All static. Uh, we got a uh, what? All right, I'm just gonna shut up. All right, we got some questions. <laughs> we got some questions. Okay, from who? No, uh, they're from they're from Matt. All right, cool, cool. I was scared that it was from somebody else. No, no, actually, <laughs> okay. He, Matt is more dependable than the mailman at this point. <laughs> yeah, um, rain or sleep or snow. <laughs> Can stop that man. There goes that man again. His internet could be out. We're getting a carrier pigeon. <laughs> yeah. Questions. Like, how'd you get my address? He's like, you ever seen Nardwar? Like, yeah. I, he's like, you, you, you're gone, Bridge. We had to know. <laughs> we had to know your address, Andrew. First question comes in from Matt. He says, what's the biggest missed opportunity you have ever had? A uh, guy like me seizes his opportunities guy like me doesn't miss opportunities i was once considered the ultimate opportunist so i don't miss opportunities either (laughs) i left college and one of the last things i said was i have zero regrets about leaving so i I don't really have any i will say the one thing that i i am i wouldn't say missed opportunity i'm still salty that i didn't get to go to the red sox game with you guys uh that first week of 2021 i got covid yeah, that's a bomb. That was a bummer, man. That was a bummer. <laughs> yeah, especially because of who got to go instead of me. But no, he was always going. Oh, true. True. Yeah. Long live the goose. Second question comes in from Matt. He says, if you could wear where it says Amy smell, I'm gonna i I'm gonna guess he meant to say any smell as a fragrance, what would it be? Hmm. I would just get the dirt from Fenway and just rub it all over me. I was going to say, like, uh, pine tar and chew. Pine Buffalo. tar and chew? Yeah. <laughs> pine tar actually smells great. I'll stick with just the pine tar. I'll skip the chew. The, the, I'll be dill pickle seeds. <laughs> Last question comes in from Matt. He says, what is your earliest memory? Ever? <laughs> 
I don't know. I remember playing. I think when I gained my like consciousness, I remember I was playing on a playground. <laughs> yeah, you just. That's like the early, I think I was like two or three. That's such a that's such a funny meme. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're just it's like 2004. You're just sitting in your basement like watching Cartoon Network, and then all of a sudden you just open your eyes and you're like, oh my god. <laughs> You're like, what are we doing here? We like, how did I get here? How did I get here? What? I wonder if anybody genuinely remembers when they were a baby. Because if they say they are, I, you, you could just be lying. It would have to be a, a super scarring event. I think I have a decent one. Okay. Yep. I can't did. find exactly when it was, but it was a. Uh, I'm what. Uh, nope, keep going, keep going. Ahead. Don't stop. Just just keep keep going. You're good. I swear to God. Was a, I remember watching the news one day. All right, it better be Steve. I'm gonna listen you're back good. to this. You're better good. Not, better not be uh, be all scratchy. You're good, all right. bro. Um I remember watching TV as a as a young boy and uh some news channel was covering the it was like a live reenactment of Mr. Popper's penguins, and it was just like a bunch of like people dressed up as penguins, like in like Antarctica. I don't know. It was really weird. That's why I remember it. Hell yeah, Clawson. You got you it guys... wasn't the 2011 oh. version though. With Jim Carrey or whoever? Yeah, no, it was just like I try I'm I'm trying to look it up right now. It just doesn't exist. All right. Made up. Made up story. Guys, we got some breaking news. What? Jesus. We have got some real good breaking news. What? The Boston Red Sox have signed. I don't know exactly what this means, but they have signed international free agent, 18-year-old kid, pending first-round pick in the KBO, Chan Sol Lee, starting pitcher, 18 years old, fastball clocks in at 95 miles an hour. Red Sox worldwide, baby. Red Sox worldwide, baby. I'd never, never heard of him, but they signed him to a minor league contract, and he's eighteen. So who knows? All right, Costin, you got a Yahtzee, uh, Yahtzee of the week? Yeah, it's got to be uh, Tristan Casas is second against Max Scherzer. Sure does. I mean, how are you gonna take a How are you gonna take a mid nineties fastball down and in from Max Scherzer and push it four thirty? You're just not. You're not you gotta be a big man. Big man. You gotta be a moose. Someday, when Tristan mm. Casas takes his <laughs> takes his face off and reveals a moose, I'm not going to be surprised. No one, yeah, no one's no one's going to be surprised. That's what everybody should do at Fenway Park when Casas is a homer. You should you do that. The antlers. Yeah, and then be like, mm. <laughs> you can start that Steve or that trend, Steve. People might look at you weird. <laughs> How many beers is this Can you this imagine, guy? though, how lit that would be? Imagine. What? It's like stupid when one person does it, but can you imagine if all of Fenway Park did that at the same time? What are, you, what are you doing if the guy next to you at Fenway that you don't know just throws up moose antlers and starts <laughs> groaning when you know what? You know what? <laughs> Tristan Casas puts one over the fence? I'd be like, yeah, yeah, guy. Yeah. You know what I'm doing? I'm doing the Casas chant, bottom nine. And if Casas doesn't hit a walk-off home run and we go to the top of the 10th, I'm bringing out the defense sign. That was awesome. <laughs> Two outs, bottom nine. Defense. Defense. 
That's got to be a regular thing at Fenway. So does the moose antlers. One more time for me, Steve. Mm. <laughs> Closing out the ninth. <laughs> uh, I've actually, I've got like a, I've got like a, I'm, I'm going to make it brief, but uh, my closing out the ninth thought, uh, I was at the Hall of Fame induction ceremony yesterday. I wanted to mention this quick because uh, super cool thing to go to. If you're a big baseball fan, you got to check it out. Uh, Fred McGriff, Scott Rowland into the hall. Cooperstown is, it's such a sweet place. Just like lives and breathes baseball, small town Americana. Uh, I got super burnt during the ceremony roasting out in the sun for three and a half hours. That wasn't cool. Everything else was cool though. And I need the shirt that I found in the hall of fame that says, uh, I survived the 1981, uh, baseball strike. Um, but honestly, one of the coolest parts to me of the whole weekend is just the people that are there and, you know, the, the hall of fame, my, I have family up in that area. Um, so it's not too far from them, but talking with people who drove all the way from St. Louis and, you know, talking about, you know, just being able to talk to them about like the Cardinals this year, this other guy who I was sitting next to who drove all the way from Atlanta, uh, and, you know, was a huge, uh, McGriff fan. Like that was just one of the coolest uh, parts of my eyes. Super cool experience. If you're a big baseball fan, got to get to Cooperstown at least once in general. But if not, make it uh, make it induction weekend, which is pretty sweet. My other quick closing out the ninth thought. I'm waking up in about eight hours to fly to Detroit tomorrow morning. We're going to have lots of live coverage from the Tigers game tomorrow. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. Uh, I'll go next. Um, yeah. Sorry, unless you want to, Clawson. No, mine's just going to be uh, condescending towards you two. So if we can end oh. on that note, if you want. Okay, Hold on, sorry. actually, I got one other thing. Real quick, uh, when the ceremony started, they introduced every Hall of Fame player who's there. And then Rob Manfred gets introduced to come out and he, like, you know, says some stuff. He got booed so damn loud. Boo that man. Hilarious. That is always good. Bud Seelig was 2030, right? Bud C, yeah, he actually just got a <clears throat> little, little contract extension. Contract extendy. I will say ex- that some of the rule changes were good. That probably helped his job. 100%. Still um, not a cool guy, though. No, bad guy. My closing at the ninth is I had this thought the other day while doing the Immaculate Grid. I think it would be funny if I got a uh, Dom DiMaggio jersey. Uh, I got one that said DiMaggio on the back of it <laughs> and then like got into arguments with Yankee fans about whether or not it's like a real Jersey and stuff. And like that Joe DiMaggio didn't play on the Red Sox. I'd be like, you idiot. You Did idiot. you know that Ted Williams during Joe DiMaggio's hit streak during that time period, Ted Williams had a higher batting average. average. Yeah. It's my favorite stat of all time. Ted Williams was sick. Sick dude. Don sick. DiMaggio also missed three years of his prime American hero. Ted Williams Third. served in two wars, World War II and the Korean War. Oh, Ted Williams got shot down. Yes, he did. Fact. Right, American awesome. hero. Actually, what was cool at the Hall of Fame is all the guys who, like, in the in the plaque room, all the guys who have served in wars have little emblems underneath them for what That's war cool. they served in. That is cool. Super cool. Cool. It's pretty cool. dope. Awesome. Um, 
I'll start and say I uh, played golf for the first time in a while yesterday. Um, confirmed, I definitely kicked both your asses. Uh, didn't even use my driver once. Sounds like you played at a mini golf course then. Sounds, Sounds like, like I Cali. played on a uh, 6,300 yard course, buddy. Oh, I only hit my three iron. Oh, that makes Ooh. me better than you. Ooh. Ooh. Right, carry on. Um, or your internet on a, goes on a higher note. On a hap- on a higher note. Uh, happy 50th birthday, Nomar. Uh, you'd, you'd still kick Derek Jeter's ass any day. Love you, buddy. That was super condescending. Thanks, Clausen. What did you did you hear that whole thing? Yeah, no, surprisingly, I did. All right. Anyways, Sox, Braves, Brian Bay was a dad. He's on the bump Wednesday. Steve's going to be there with his dad. It's a real father-son affair. Father-son affair, everybody. Tomorrow, Sox, Charlie Morton versus TBD. Oh, Strider is pitching on Wednesday. That's going to be a fire matchup. That is a fire game, dude. Uh, Actually, Eddie's pitching tomorrow night for the Tigers. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. Um, And then you got three against the Giants. You got to go back out to, to California. Three against the old Giants of San Francisco to finish off the weekend. Anyways, it's going to be a push for the wild card. Still two months left, but a big uh, week coming up with the trade deadline being in just about eight days. But if you enjoyed what you listened to, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Gombridge Podcast and Twitter at Gombridge. Don't forget to subscribe to our episodes on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Stitcher. And we will be back next week with episode 133. See ya!